one in whom there is forgiveness of sins. The one in whose name we pray this morning. Amen. You may be seated. Well, welcome. We are glad you're worshiping with us today. And um, we pray that you've been encouraged thus far and will continue to be encouraged and challenged now as we open up God's word together. Um, I just want to give you a little update this week. It uh, was a bit different uh, for us. Uh, last week I mentioned my wife wasn't feeling well and that she'd had a negative COVID test and everything. And uh, then Monday we she gets a positive COVID test. And so we've been kind of quarantining all week. And uh, a couple of us have been under the weather. There's still another one home that uh, Owen's still got another day or so left on his quarantine time. And uh, so if, if, um, if you don't see me out shaking hands and giving hugs this morning, I'm just trying to be cautious. I feel pretty good, but I uh, felt a little off for a couple days this week. So I'm going to try to steer clear of, of you this week just so I don't pass anything that I may have. But I still wanted to be here and be able to, to share God's word with you this morning and what God has laid on my heart. And since Elisa is home with uh, Owen, uh, the plan that we had today to be able to share together about some of the things that God's been teaching us is going to be postponed till next week. Lord willing, we'll be able to, to come up together and, and share next week uh, with a little bit about what God's been doing. And then just to give you a little snapshot of what's coming for the uh, next few weeks after that, we're going to just start a brief series, a four-week series called Story. And we're going to talk about the story of God, the story that God has been weaving throughout uh, throughout history that we see in Scripture, and how He has called us into that story, and we're a part of what He is doing in uh, our world. So I want to just invite you to join us for that as we begin that series. Again, Lord willing, uh, two weeks from today. Um, this, week, this morning, I want to just piggyback a little bit about on what we shared last week, and the title of today's message is Consider Jesus. And we're going to start in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1, and there's a couple places here in Hebrews that we want to look, as well as one or two other verses, and I'd love to have a couple of readers again this morning. You guys did so fantastic last week, and I just wonder if there might be someone who in a little bit would be willing to read Ephesians 4.32. Someone would be willing to read that for us? Ephesians 4.32? Butch? All right, thank you. Um, and, uh, and then would, um, would someone be willing to read 1 Peter 3.8 in just a little while? Thank you. All right. We're going to start here in Hebrews chapter 3. And uh, as I mentioned, the title of today's message is Consider Jesus. And there's this verse in 1 Peter, I'm sorry, and in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 1. Where the author says this, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. I've been thinking about that phrase, consider Jesus, this week. It reminds me of uh, when my kids have, especially when they were little, they had something they wanted to share, this important story or this important um, Lego creation that they had built, and, and usually it was not enough to just tell the story. They, they wanted me to, to come and see what they had done, to come and be able to experience firsthand this thing that they were so passionate about. They wanted me to behold the work of their hands, and 
I think that that's sort of what this word is getting at here in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1, where the writer tells us to consider Jesus. It's a Greek word that means to, to look at in a reflective manner. Not to just take a quick glance, but to fix your gaze upon and then ponder. To, to truly, deep down within you, consider what's going on here. It's to contemplate, to think about carefully. This morning, I want us to consider the gentle and gracious heart of Christ. One of the key themes of Hebrews, if not the theme, is come look at Christ. We learn when we're kids that it's bad manners to stare at someone. It was always embarrassing if you got an elbow uh, in the church pew from mom or at a restaurant and you heard those words, stop staring, and you didn't realize that you were gawking at someone or something that captivated your attention as a little kid, but you were being incredibly rude by, by the way that you just were gawking at this person or this, this thing. But when it comes to Jesus, it's not rude to do that. We're called to stare. In fact, later on in Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, he's going to say, fix our eyes on Jesus. Lock in. Just like, just like a, a, a laser-sighted missile, we're, we're supposed to keep our eyes, our hearts, our minds fixed on Jesus. Consider Jesus, Hebrews says. We, we cannot spend too much time looking at Jesus. We cannot overemphasize, speak too much of, hold in too high regard the Son of God. When you uh, step back a couple of verses from Hebrews 3.1, we read in chapter 2, verse 17, Speaking of Christ, it says, Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. As we consider the gentle and gracious heart of Christ this morning, we are looking at someone who has truly walked in our shoes. I don't know if, if you've experienced this, but uh, you may have discovered that on the World Wide Web, and particularly social media, that you get unsolicited opinions. Have you ever seen this out there? And you may have also noticed that um, people who have no idea what they're talking about will weigh in on certain subjects as if they are experts. Anybody else ever experienced this? Is this, this is just me that's seen this out there. Uh, they speak as if they have knowledge of a situation or an arena, but really have no 
sphere of life. I think one of my favorites, and I, I can laugh about this because I'm pretty sure I, I did it, is when um, uh, a young person who's never been married gives advice to those on marriage, to those who have been married. And, and you know, cause, because when, when it's all theoretical, you have all the answers. It's, it's, it's a piece of cake. You've got a textbook, and it's easily explained until you begin to experience life and the, the trials and challenges and joys that come with marriage. It sure helps to have been there. I love it when, when I pick up a marriage book, and I've seen this more than once, and the author says, I wanted to write this book years ago, but I didn't know anything. <laughs> and I needed to experience marriage. I needed to gain uh, some wisdom for life before I could put my pen to the paper and feel like I had anything to offer. It sure is nice when you're wrestling with something and someone who has been there comes alongside of you and walks with you. They, they can understand in a special way. It doesn't mean that you can't show compassion and empathize with someone just because you haven't experienced the exact same thing. But it sure does help when you can talk to somebody who has been there before. I want you to know this morning, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, He has been there before. Whatever it is that you're experiencing today, the highs, the lows, the joys, the sorrows, rejection, acceptance, adoration, rejection, Jesus has been there. And it tells us in Hebrews 2.18 that because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Because Jesus has faced temptation, every single one that you and I face, every single one, he is especially equipped to help us. Because he went through them without sin. He succeeded where we have failed, and he can come alongside of us and offer the kind of help and assistance and understanding and strength that we need. One of the things that we so often underemphasize about Jesus Christ is his humanity. We talk about his deity, and we should. We should emphasize the godness of Jesus. But we cannot underestimate the fact that he was a, a human being, and is a human being, with, with physical hurts and limitations and struggles, just as you and I face. Jesus, I want you to hear this morning, understands. There are no, there are no yeah buts that can accompany that phrase. Jesus understands. There are no, well, well but you have to understand my situation. 
Jesus understands. This morning, whatever it is that you may be walking through, Jesus understands and he cares. I would love for you to flip over to chapter 4. There's three more verses that I'd like to read this morning that the writer of Hebrews sort of returns to this same theme and speaking about Jesus as the high priest. In fact, um, if, if one of you would be willing to read uh, chapter 4, verses 15, 14, 15, and 16, they're on the, on the screen too if your eyesight's good. Would, would someone be willing to do that 4, 14 through 16 this morning? All right, thanks, Todd. Go ahead, yeah, right now. brother. These are precious verses. We're told here that Jesus, because he has been tempted in every way that we are, and yet without sin, he's able to sympathize with our weaknesses. Think about that. Jesus understands. One writer says that sympathize here is not this cool and detached pity. It's a depth of felt solidarity such as is echoed in our own lives most closely, only as parents to children. Indeed, it's deeper even than that. In our pain, Jesus is pained. In our suffering, he feels the suffering as his own, even though it isn't. Not that his invincible divinity is threatened, but in the sense that his heart is feelingly drawn into our distress. His human nature engages in our troubles comprehensively. His is a love that cannot be held back. When he sees his people in pain. What does it do to your hearts this morning to know that you have a Savior like that? Who is drawn towards you when you're hurting and struggling, when you're weak and when you're tempted. He is not repulsed. He's not pushed away. But comes near. A number of years ago, a movie came out by the, by the title, A River Runs Through It. Those of you who are fly fishing enthusiasts know this movie well. It's the story of two brothers growing up in the beautiful Montana countryside. The older one was quiet, studious, hardworking. He got a good job. He was a respected man in the community. But his wild younger brother was, while a, a good time, was always getting into scrapes. He was always pushing the boundaries of what was acceptable. He ended up associating with people who pulled him deeper and deeper into this trouble and the bad decisions. And finally, if you've seen the movie, he, you know that he was killed in a, in a brawl. All the while, his older brother could not help him. They had grown too far apart. It's a moving and a tragic story. And the most tragic thing about it was this. 
One writer says, the older son saw that what was happening to his beloved younger brother, and there was nothing he could do about it. He could not reach him. He couldn't come to where he was and rescue him. I want you to know that that's not how it is with our Savior, Jesus Christ. He is not unable to come to us where we are. There is nothing that holds him back. N.T. Wright says this, In suffering and dying on behalf of his people, Jesus has become the true high priest who makes atonement for our sins. Note the assumption that Hebrews makes that a true high priest, as set out in the Old Testament, should be, on the one hand, someone who's able to act as God's representative to his people, embodying God's mercy and reliability. We see that in verse 17. But on the other hand, he's someone who can fully sympathize with those to whom he ministers. We see that in verse 18. He is no distant older brother, unable to cross the gulf to rescue his siblings. He shared in flesh and blood and even death itself. There's nothing we face today or tomorrow or the next day in which Jesus cannot sympathize. He cannot help, cannot rescue us, and through which he cannot forge a way to God's new world. As our perfect high priest, Jesus can completely understand what we're going through. He can enter in our suf- into our suffering in an experiential way because he's been there. Many of us have a tendency to think that the more difficult things get in our life, the more alone we are. That's what the enemy wants us to believe. The more challenging our circumstances, the more deep the temptation, and even the more that we sin, the greater our gulf between the greater the gulf between us and God. But the reality is, the greater the pain and suffering the greater is the presence of God. These texts are telling us that when we are at our greatest weakness, it's in those moments that our God comes the nearest. One of the things we did not say last week as we talked about the love of God, and haven't mentioned yet this morning, is that God did all of this while we were still his enemies. God didn't just do something nice and gracious for his best buds. God didn't even do something gracious and kind for people who were moderately indifferent. He went and extended this grace to you and I, whom the Bible says, apart from Jesus, we were his enemies. Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrated his love in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He did not wait for us to get our act together. He didn't look for someone who was trying really, really hard and said, well, gee, sport, you're doing a great job here. I I think that I'll meet you halfway. He came and did this for his enemies, those who were spiritually dead. That magnifies this grace, this kindness, this heart of God all the more beautifully. Consider Jesus. I wonder this morning if our hearts truly apprehend this glorious mystery. Jonathan Edwards once wrote, there is a difference between having an opinion that God is holy and gracious and having a sense of the loveliness and beauty 
of that holiness and grace. There's a difference between having a rational judgment that honey is sweet and having a sense of its sweetness. A man may have the former that knows not how honey tastes, but a man cannot have the latter unless he has the idea of the taste of honey in his mind. You see, we can talk of the grace of God, but until we have tasted it and experienced its sweetness, we don't really know what we're talking about. We could speak of the love and the kindness of the heart of God for days and days. But I believe that we're called to take a step further. We receive of His kindness. We bask in His presence even while we're in the midst of temptation and struggle. But if we're truly impacted by the heart of God we then will consider how we might follow in his footsteps. When we consider Jesus, when we fix our gaze upon Jesus, our lives will look differently. We can't behold the loving, good, kind heart of Jesus day in and day out without having our hearts changed as well. You can't do it. I suppose you could consider it from an intellectual standpoint. You could analyze it as, as some uh, data processor. But to truly behold and gaze at and be, be gripped by the compassionate heart of Jesus will touch your life. It's, it's like... It's like walking, uh, let's say you're at the grocery store shopping, you're pushing your cart, and you come around a corner, and you pass someone who is also pushing a cart, but in their cart, they have a baby carrier with a precious, beautiful, small newborn in that carrier. And you look down at that newborn and let's say it's old enough to lock eyes with you, and he or she smiles at you. Now, I'm not going to ask a show of hands this morning uh, because we don't want to start judging one another, but I would be, I, I'm going to say this. If you have a baby smile at you, and you don't, you can't, like, like you can, po it's possible for you to not smile back, there's something off. Like when a, when, a, when, a, when a little baby looks up to you with those beautiful eyes and gives you a big toothy grin, it can't help but reflexively put a smile on your face. Now who knows what's going on there? Maybe he's just got gas or something. But your heart instinctively responds. When we meet Jesus in his beauty, when we gaze upon his gracious heart, my brothers and sisters, there needs to be a reflexive response of worship back to him, but there also should be a reflection of his heart in us toward one another. You all have heard about the one another's of the New Testament, the one another's of the Bible. 
throughout. It's, it's mostly in Pauline uh, epistles. We're going to see here one in Peter. Uh, where we're told to uh, love one another. We're told to welcome one another. We're told all kinds, of, all kinds of words there and all kinds of action words and then one another. And I just want to look at a couple this morning to just get a little taste of what it looks like that after we have considered Jesus, after we've beheld Jesus, how should that change us in the way that we relate to one another? We could, we could and I hope you do this week, go through and do a word search for that phrase, one another, and look at all the different ways that we're, we're told to um, care for and take care of one another. I just want to look at two verses this morning. So, Butch, would you read uh, Ephesians 4.32 for us, please? Thank you, brother. Just, just uh, look at this, this. Just a simple couple of commands here. He says, "Be kind to one another." Man, how that would, how how much does our world right now just need simple kindness? Like when we get a, a stinging comment, whether it's face to face or online or a text, to not respond the same way. To respond with kindness. Be kind to one another. He says, be tender-hearted. This word is frequently, frequently used of Jesus. In fact, he used this word, Jesus used this Greek word in a story he told in Luke 15. You'll know this when I read it. This verse goes, I'm picking up the story partway through, but the verse goes like this. He arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. That's that word, tender-hearted. And he ran and embraced him and kissed him. Over and over we see that this is the way Jesus is. And when we consider Jesus, when we behold Jesus, when we fix our eyes on Jesus, his heart should become our heart. We should be able to have compassion toward one another. He says, to forgive one another. To forgive one another. And he doesn't just say that simple statement, but he adds, as God in Christ forgave you. I mean, you can meditate on that all day long to think about the way that God has forgiven you. We don't deserve it. Forgiven some gigantic sins forgiven us even though that we've, we've still turned our back on him and sinned again and again and again. It's a, it's a limitless forgiveness. We go on and on and on to describe the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, and he says, that's how I want you to forgive one another. You see, when we behold the heart of Jesus Christ, it isn't something to just give us warm fuzzies. It's not even something that just should, should result in our praise, like, wow, God, I can't believe you love me like this. It should, but it, it shouldn't stop even there. It should translate into the way that we live with one another, that we treat one another, that we care for one another. Cheryl, would you mind reading First uh, Peter 3.8? Thank you. 
Again, we're, we're just getting a, a little sampling of the one another's in the New Testament. But Peter here says, I want you to have a unity of mind. I, I want you to, doesn't mean that you all think the same way all the time. But he speaks of, of a oneness, of being able to get along, of even in diversity, being able to walk side by side, even being able to disagree lovingly and not have that rend us apart. Sympathy for one another. This, this simply means being ready to rejoice with those who are rejoicing and to weep with those who weep. Being able to enter into the suffering and the joy of our fellow believers. He speaks of brotherly love. This is a mutual affection, a care for one another. Francis Schaeffer has said, if we do not show love to one another, the world has a right to question whether Christianity is true. Have tender hearts, same word we saw in Ephesians, in a humble mind. We could go on and on and on. The point I'm simply trying to make is this. When we consider Jesus, and that's where we start. We don't start with the do's. We don't start with the, I got to be a better this, and I got to love this person, and I got to think about them. When We don't start there. We start with Jesus. We keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. And from that fullness flows this love towards one another. I was reading a blog by Ray Ortland this week, and he was talking about the one another commands of the New Testament. And he said, it's striking to notice the one another's that we won't find in the New Testament. And I added a I took his list and added a couple of my own. He says, for example, you don't find, you'll never find the phrase fix one another. You'll never find the phrase humble one another. Scrutinize one another. Pressure one another. Embarrass one another. Corner one another. Interrupt one another, defeat one another, sacrifice one another, one-up another, shame one another, marginalize one another, exclude one another, judge one another, run one another's lives, confess one another's sins, and on and on we could go. So often we are hurt, we so easily forget we forget the way that Jesus is towards us. We forget his kindness and goodness towards us. And our gaze is no longer upon him. And the way that we treat one another, well, it begins to show that we're not considering Jesus. As we close, I want us to just ask a few questions for reflection. Am I taking time to consider Jesus? What I mean is, are we taking time to look at the words, the life, the ministry, the work of Jesus Christ, and to reflect on it in a way that, that embeds itself into our thinking? I'm talking about praying through texts. I'm talking about journaling through some of these texts. I'm talking about then going and finding somebody to talk about these texts with and these truths that God is teaching you? Am I taking time to consider Jesus? Listen, our parents taught us that staring at someone was rude. I get that. It is. It is super unnerving. 
I mean, I do it, it happens to me for like 35, 40 minutes every Sunday morning. It, it does get a little bit weird. I, you get used to it after a while. Um, but it, it, it doesn't totally break my heart when a couple of you doze off. So I'm like, all right, there's a couple less people staring at me right now. So it's all right. But here's the thing. While we can stare at people too long and weird them out, you can't gaze at Jesus too long. Ephesians 3.8 speaks of the unspeakable riches of Jesus Christ. There's so much that you can't, even, you can't even talk about it. I love how at the end of John's gospel he writes that. He says, if we're going to say everything about Jesus that he did and said and everywhere he went, he says, I suppose the, the world could not contain all the volumes. <laughs> I love that. We will never exhaust the grace and the goodness and the kindness of the riches of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You cannot consider Jesus too much. Am I taking time to consider Jesus? Secondly, would others use the words of Ephesians 4.32 and 1 Peter 3.8 to describe me? We could pick other verses, other one another passages. We just read these two. If you want to get really crazy with these questions, you could ask a couple people this week this question. Write, write the phrases down and say, do these describe me? Be honest. Just be ready. We're all a work in progress. Shouldn't be a devastating blow if they say no, or this one does and this one here, but eh, not this one. Should be welcomed criticism and a, a gracious blow to, to know how we can grow and become more like Jesus. And then finally, what is God's Holy Spirit saying to you this morning? With that question, I want us to just bow for a moment of silent prayer, and then I'll close us in prayer. What's God's Holy Spirit saying to you this morning? Let's bow. Heavenly Father, teach us to consider Jesus. May we not quickly move past familiar stories memorized verses, truths that we heard long ago. May our hearts stop to gaze at Jesus, His heart towards sinners and sufferers, His heart towards the rebellious and the wandering, the hurting, broken. May our gaze, may our considering of Jesus lead to worship, but beyond that, may it lead to action 
May our hands be outstretched to one another and beyond the walls of this church to the world who so desperately needs Jesus. Not a single one of us here in this room, oh God, and not a single person out in this world doesn't need to hear that you love them, you care for them. Father, teach us to be kind to one another. Give us tender hearts toward one another. May we be forgiving forgiving toward one another as you have so thoroughly and completely forgiven us. Father, may we have unity. May we have sympathy for one another, extending brotherly love and living in humility. Teach us to consider Jesus. And may these traits and others be a reality in our lives. Now to the Father who chose you, the Son who bought you, the Spirit who dwells in you, go before you in your darkness, stand beside you in your fears, hold you up in your sorrows until Jesus comes. Amen. You may be dismissed.